If you would, let's take your copy of God's Word and open it up to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's in the New Testament. It's the first Gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we'll be in Matthew chapter 5. Still. And we'll be in verses 33 through 37. And if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures with you, you can follow along as the words will be put on the screen. This is Jesus speaking and teaching in the famous Sermon on the Mount, and he says in verse 33, And you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Well, it's been said that integrity is being the same person in private that you are in public. Pastor R. Kent Hughes speaks of integrity this way. He says, integrity characterizes the entire person, not just part of him. He is righteous and honest through and through, He is not only that inside, but also in outer action. So really what I want us to see this morning as we think about integrity, and I think that's what Jesus is going to be, uh, Jesus' main point in our passage this morning, is that we aren't double-tongued. We aren't one way in one setting and a different way in another. And in particular, as we think of integrity, I think... Most often, we think in terms of commitments. Someone's honoring their commitment. They've shown that they have integrity. And in particular, we show that that integrity is genuine when they keep their commitments despite a change in circumstances. Or maybe in particular, when circumstances are difficult or very costly to that individual. Why do we value People with integrity. I think it's safe to say. We, we would say, yes, yeah, a virtue that I uphold, that, that I value. I want to know that that person has integrity. Why do we value that? And that's pretty universal. Why do we value people with integrity? I think it's because we're confident that what we see in that person, we will get. There's something about people being fake, right, that we don't appreciate, that we do not like. We feel betrayed. Maybe there's those times that, uh, you know, the wisdom that's now um, given out is, is never meet your heroes because you will be greatly disappointed. They're not as great as you thought they were. But when we find out that that person that we admire, maybe someone we've been watching for afar, and we get to meet them or we, we watch them in a setting that they don't realize that we're watching. And you see that they're legit. You're like, 
that person's the real deal. That person does what they say. That, that whole image, it isn't just their image, that's who they are. And we're drawn to them in such integrity that we see in their life. It actually brings assurance to us. It brings trust that that person won't steer us wrong, right? Or maybe on a more personal level, that person will not do me harm. I can count on them. They are dependable. However, I think we could also often think about those times that we have met someone or we've depended on someone and that person has failed us. We've had interactions with people who lack integrity. And and just as those with integrity can fill our heart with love and assurance, so those who lack it can harm us and hurt us. It's interesting, uh, several studies over the years, I first heard this when I was in college in a in a uh, sociology class, but I, I found that uh, in the UK this study had been done uh, fairly recently in the last year. They surveyed uh, individuals about what would be your uh, de- most desired superpower. You ever thought about that? I, I do. I uh, think about telepathy or telekinesis. You know, telepathy, that could be dangerous. I can like send you messages or I can read your mind. Or you're like, ooh, this guy's creepy. Uh, Telekinesis, you can beam yourself places, or maybe you thought about, if I could fly. Um, But you know what the number one superpower that people most long for? Invisibility. Invisibility. Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that study before. Why invisibility? Well, this actually is creepier than telepathy. It's because you can do whatever you want. No one can see you. Invisibility. I can be who I want. I don't have to pretend anymore. And what they want to do is kind of freaky. I'll let you not really encourage you to read what they would do. Um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount unpacks for us what it means to be pure in heart, though. You remember the virtues if you were with us, the Beatitudes in chapter 5, verses 2 through through 12. Jesus gives these uh, uh, um, uh, blessed statements, and one of them is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is what Jesus is getting after in the Sermon on the Mount. That we would be whole people. That what you see on the outside is what you get. That we're genuine. In fact, the number one turnoff, no matter for church or anyone you meet, is that what you see isn't what you get. And Jesus says, come follow me and I will show you a heavenly father. I will show you a community. I will show you love that you deeply long for. And you don't have to be fake. You don't have to put a facade on. And so here he's addressing what it means to be a whole person in in terms of our speech. Here he does so by addressing the issue of oaths and vows. Now, we don't typically take oaths anymore uh, unless we're, you know, a witness on the stand or we're being sworn into office. Uh, I don't think any of us are that important, so that hasn't happened to any of us yet. Uh, But we don't use oaths. We might be more familiar with vows. 
We do them at weddings, but that's the only time that I think we, we in our culture, usually have vowels. But just thinking about oaths, oaths are simply solemn promises. It's a binding oath. Uh, we, Pastor Jim read it in Hebrews 6. Our culture doesn't think of oaths as that binding, um, although they, they do in certain cases seem to have that, that weight. But vows are, are simply binding commitments. Well, th- there's not too much of a difference here. And this is what Jesus is referring to here in our passage. He says in verse 33, Again, you've heard it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And he's talking here about oaths and, and vows. And actually, this statement here is, is not found exactly in the Old Testament, but is, is a summation of two uh, likely passages. And the, and the first is Deuteronomy 20, verse 7. You, you might be familiar with it. It's the third commandment. It goes like this, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We typically think taking the Lord's name in vain is using it as a cuss word. And I suppose that would, that would fit that definition. But taking the Lord's name in vain is actually invoking God's name kind of as a witness to whatever you're going to do and say, and then you break that commitment. We see this expounded upon in in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 through 23. Just follow along or listen to me as I read. Moses writes, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. And that passage right there gets a little bit closer to what full expression that Jesus gives. If you don't swear falsely, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, don't make a vow, an oath that you don't intend to keep. That's what he's saying. You've heard it said before, and he's, he's recalling these passages. And, and so what we see is that in the Old Testament, the law permitted oaths in everyday speech, provided that they were neither false or flippant. It was, be careful what you say because you're, you're bound to it. However, what we're going to learn this morning is that the disciples of Jesus Christ, you and me as followers, have no need for such oaths. We don't have need for it. And I'm going to explain a little bit more what that means. I think there's been some misunderstandings here. We're going to see we don't have need for formal oaths at least what he's talking about, because the heart of the law has always been truthfulness. And Jesus has come to fulfill the law. Jesus is saying, hey, come follow me, and I will lead you down the path of truth. That's what he's getting at. In other words, Jesus is addressing for us the sinful heart and our propensity to lie. We have that built into our DNA. I don't have to teach our kids, nor was I have ever had to be taught, to lie. 
like they're natural at it. Did you hear me? No, I didn't. We hear that one a lot in our house. And if you think about it, just think about oaths just for a moment, vows. They're only necessary because people lie. It's the only reason we have oaths. Because we got to step up our game because people's yes is not always yes and their no is not always no. And so we have to step it up. We have to go beyond the measure. And Jesus is saying that's actually not how it should be. That your word is good. That's what he's getting after. And so for this reason, Jesus says that oaths are actually unnecessary. We are to, to speak truthfully in every circumstance with integrity, not just when you take oaths. That's the point he's getting at. Why should we speak truth in every circumstance? Well, because, especially for us as believers, we've experienced Christ's unwavering love and commitment toward us, right? And having experienced that genuine blessedness of entering a relationship with Jesus who has perfect integrity, that experience will transform our hearts to truly fulfill the law and speaking the truth. And so with this in mind, I want to emphasize three life-giving principles concerning integrity from this passage so that we may truly live toward or live truly towards God and neighbor. We won't live two-faced, double-tongued. And the first principle that I want us to see is that integrity is consistent. Integrity is consistent. The heart of the law, the Old Testament, concerning vows and oaths was to uphold consistency in one's commitment toward God and neighbor. That's, that was the heart of it. And as the surrounding nations would be watching this nation of Israel interact with one another and interact with their God and then ultimately with the nation surrounding them, they would see how Israel spoke with integrity. At least that's the idea. And that the nations would learn that Israel's God was steadfast, dependable, unchanging in his character and his promises. So you can begin to see why the third commandment was so important. You, by nature, when you take the name of the Lord, as I'm invoking he's on my team, well now you're representing him to the watching world. And as we know, the story of Israel, they didn't do a very good job at this. Oaths, by their very definition, are to be binding. However, in their sin, sinfulness, Israel perverted the law concerning oaths to suit their fickle hearts. They perverted the, the, the scriptures. And in their mind, this is, this is how they reasoned. And you might remember in Deuteronomy 23 says, but if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. Aha, we found the loophole. And so the loophole was this. Just don't invoke God's name, and it's not binding. It's kind of like the kids on the, on the playground. Uh-uh, I had my fingers crossed. 
Oh, you thought I was telling the truth. Sorry. And we say that's pretty childish, but we do similar things. And I think we'll begin to see this. They, 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 they thought there was a difference. Okay, if we don't take the serious oath, in our terms, if I don't swear to God, well, then I'm not actually on the hook for it. And that became kind of a loophole by which they could to get around these things. And this gives us insight into what Jesus means when he says, do not take an oath at all in verse 34. Now what Jesus is not doing is setting up a new rule for us to keep. Hey, change my mind. I know in the Old Testament I had stipulations for oaths, but don't you ever oath again. You swear to me? You know, that's not what he's saying. He's not forbidding, as as some have taught, people to be sworn into office or that you can't say the Pledge of Allegiance or uh, other sorts of pledges of commitment or to swear on the Bible if you're giving sworn testimony in court. It's not the point. Hey, I've got new rules. Just don't take oaths. That's, that misses what he's getting after. Rather, Jesus commands, he, he's commanding Every word that you speak is under oath. That's basically what he's saying. It's not just the ones that you claim to be oaths that you're on the hook for. It's every word that you speak. Jesus will say elsewhere, you will give an account for every careless word you've spoken. Oh, my word. Every careless word. And so he's upholding, actually, the true intent of the law, namely, honesty and integrity. There's to be a consistency in the speech of Christ's followers. And when there's a consistency in us of speaking truth, of being honest, we'll be rightly viewed as dependable. And guess what? When people see us as dependable and they know who we represent, then they they see that Christ-dependable. Do you see that? For the religious leaders, they were double-tongued and saying one thing and yet doing another. And in this way, their speech was not consistent. And they would make oaths. You can kind of see Jesus list them in verses 34 through 36. They would make oaths by heaven, earth, Jerusalem, even their own life thinking that they had made lesser oaths that get them off the hook of actually telling the truth. But Jesus exposes their hypocrisy and their lack of integrity and inconsistency in their speech. And he shows them that even by your workarounds, you fail to understand that God is unchanging and that God isn't divided in parts As if you can swear by heaven, but you're not evoking God. Or that you can swear by earth, and the earth is not his. He says, you know, heaven is the throne room of God. It's the dwelling place of God. Do you think that it's only God himself who's truthful, but in his presence there's not truth? Or just think about earth. Do you you think that his reign does not extend here and that he will not 
reign in truth and in justice. God is not divided, brothers and sisters. And I know sometimes the evil one likes to whisper in our ears, maybe God's going to let me down this time. That maybe he's not dependable. Maybe he's changed his mind. Maybe he's playing games with me. That's not who God is. And his rule does not fluctuate based on the realm or the person. The earth is God's footstool. It's under his reign and dominion. And he always reigns in truth. Again, the Jerusalem is, is said to be the city of the king. This is, I mean, just think about the crazy. Well, I swore by Jerusalem. I didn't swear by God. Well, that's not really helpful to me. You promised you would do this. Sorry. And he's saying, no, the city of the king. This is where God's Messiah will be reigning. Do you think he will not reign in truth? This one's a little bit more close to us. They swore by their own life. And Jesus says, even your own life is under the reign of God. Which one of you can take one of your hairs and make it white or black? And that was a proverbial saying, white hairs, gray hair. Black hairs, young hair. And basically saying, which one of you actually has your life in your hands? You can't make yourself old and you can't make yourself young. So why in the world are you invoking yourself as if you've got some, some ability beyond your word to keep what you're saying? You are owned by God. You are his creation. You were created in his image. We don't make oaths that way. We, we really don't make oaths a lot of the time. But we may hear people say this, I swear on my mother's what? Grave. Well, I mean, what in the world does that even mean? But we do it. Or we say, I swear on my life. You know, honestly, when people tell me that, I just think you're lying. <laughs> in fact, people who lie end up exaggerating far more than those who are telling the truth. Because they got a guilty conscience and they're not sure if you know if they're lying. So they're trying to convince you, I'm telling the truth. Yeah, yeah, you following me? I watched enough of Dateline in those little interview rooms to just tell. You know, you, you get them talking long enough, they'll, hey, your story is a little inconsistent. No, I'm telling the truth, I promise. It's almost like Jesus is saying, yeah, those, those people who are all about the oaths, you can, you can count on it. They're liars. Jesus' point is that such exaggerated speech, whatever you call it, it's actually unnecessary for us. It should be. Because all our words should be consistently truthful, that when I tell you, yes, I'll do something, or no, I won't, nothing else actually needs to be said. But aren't we glad that God is perfectly consistent with us? As Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's comforting. The most comforting people are those we know are dependable. And what we know about Christ and our Heavenly Father is that He is unchanging. Theologians call this His immutability. 
He's unmoving. As we read in Hebrews 6, he is our anchor, the anchor of our soul. He is the one we take refuge in. Like a rock in the midst of the storm, you don't want to be hanging on the sand that's shifting. No, you want to hold on to the rock that's unmovable. And our God's trustworthy. Our God is unmovable. His yeses are always yes. And his no's are always no. Even, brothers and sisters, when it feels like all the circumstances are changing. Yeah, it was easy to believe when things were going good. But guess what? God has not moved even when life is getting tough. That's the experience that we have. And God has acted in integrity toward us because he's unchanging in his character. And for us who know God and know his word, we can recount his faithfulness throughout the pages of Scripture, can't we? But also, if we've lived long enough, we can begin to see, hey, he's been faithful in my life as well. It's one of the reasons we can't do Christianity by ourselves. We watch as God's faithfulness is on display through others, which comforts us when we enter our affliction. We comfort those who are in affliction so that when we are afflicted, they may comfort us and remind us of the very truths that we reminded them. And right now, some of you are in the eye, not the eye of the storm, but you're in the heart of the storm. You're, you're, you're feeling it. And you're wondering right now, is God dependable? And I want you to be encouraged and I want you to listen to your brothers and sisters in Christ who although they may not and probably likely haven't been in the exact situation that you are in, there is no temptation that is uncommon to man. There's nothing that is ultimately unique. And be encouraged as you hear today and maybe as you discuss in community group that the Lord will see you through because he's a man of integrity. Jesus' point here is that as his people, as those created in his image, we're always invoking the name of the Lord. You're always taking the name of the Lord. And in this way, our speech should always be truthful as God is truthful. But we also learn here that integrity is to be clear. Those who have integrity are clear. What do I mean by that? You're not deceptive. It's not foggy. We're not wondering what, what really are you trying to say. Our speech is simple. You see that in verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes and no. There's something just about that simplicity that's comforting, isn't it? We live in a world of qualified speech. Everything's nuanced, isn't it? We're always qualifying ourselves. I even find myself doing that. I had a friend of mine say, hey, get to the point. Because almost like I'm trying to hedge all my bets, make sure everybody knows exactly what I mean, because you're going to take my words out of context. You ever feel that way? We're in a world of just qualification, overqualification. Everybody's hypersensitive about everything. And Jesus just says, let your yes be yes. And let your no be no. 
There's something freeing about that. But we see this all the time as reporters ask our politicians questions. They're talking, but they're not saying anything. That's a good question, but you're not answering it. Or even the same is true in our sports figures when they're up on the podium or you're, you're watching businesses or under criticism for whatever has happened behind uh, in the company walls and they're always doing the smoke and mirrors, right? Why? Because they're, they're trying to present themselves in a way that makes them look good, but, but they're not telling you a lie, but they're not necessarily telling you the truth, Right? And we get that. I don't even have to give you examples. It's on all the time. And it causes us to be skeptical of everybody. And Jesus says this isn't how it should be. This kind of convoluted speech is not helpful. And I want you to see Jesus addresses this matter another time in Matthew 23. Just turn your Bibles there. It's the end of Matthew. Matthew 23. And I want you to see verses 16 through 22. Just a side note as you're turning, a lot of what we find in the Sermon on the Mount is played out in narrative form later or in other teachings. And so Jesus expands upon it. We get the shorter version here, get a longer version elsewhere. And here in, verses, in chapter 23, Jesus is pronouncing woes upon the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. Woes are prophetic judgments. This is... This is as kind of hardcore Jesus gets in his rebukes. And he's exposing again their hypocrisy and their lies. And one area he hones in on is their convoluted speech. The scribes and Pharisees, you can see, verse 16, Woe to you blind guides. I mean, who's comfortable with a blind guy? Nobody wants a blind guy. Why? Because... They're not going to clearly be able to show you the way. They make everything dark. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that is made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar... He is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and, and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. This is what Jesus is getting after. The Pharisees would claim that their promises weren't binding because when I told you I'd do something or I committed to you, I, I, actually, I just said the temple. I didn't say the gold by the temple. And so I'm, I'm not on the hook. It's, it's their equivalent of you didn't read the fine print, did you? Isn't it amazing? Like I was listening on the radio just the other day, some, some deal, and then it's the fine print in audible form that is sped up five times and you can't hear. I mean, that's no help. But you know what? They'll use that against you if you go and take advantage of that deal. Didn't you listen to the fine print? No, it was unintelligible. Well, that's what the Pharisees would do. Oh, you must have misunderstood me. 
circumstances has changed. That was only uh, conditioned under these circumstances. Well, these, it's actually changed. Or, yeah, I know, I said I swore by the altar, but I didn't say the gift, my sacrifice that was on the altar. That's really the substance of it. I wasn't, I'm sorry, you, you didn't realize I wasn't taking this that seriously. Maybe you've had that done to you. I thought you, I thought you said you weren't going to do this. Yeah, but that was then. This is now. And, 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 we, and so then you begin to realize what that person says actually isn't really clear. They, they aren't ever telling me the truth. Yeah, it's true, but it's not. Connor already talked about this, but have you ever come to the store to take advantage of a great deal only to find out that you missed out on the, the minute detail? Latest one I'm thinking of is buy one iPhone, get another one free. Have anybody tried to do that one? You go in, it's not actually free. It's free so long as you add another line and get this certain deal. Hey, that's not what is on the sign out there. Yeah, yeah, let me take you outside. You got a magnifying glass? You see that, all that underneath the poster? We didn't swear by the gold of the temple. We just said it was a free iPhone. And yet, we can see it in those type of settings, but the truth is, we sometimes talk like that, don't we? We give convoluted speech because, actually, I don't want to commit myself fully, but I don't want to just tell you no. And so, we're unclear. Nobody appreciates convoluted speech, do they? That's technically true, but it's really not. That's deception. And this is what Jesus is getting at with the simplicity of letting your yes be yes and your no be no. There's a clarity about this type of integrity. It's back to what I said. When you see that person, it's really who they are. And there's something refreshing and real and comforting about that. And brothers and sisters, this is how God deals with us. God doesn't speak to us in darkness. God doesn't speak to us in secret. It's one of the things I notice about false teachers and false doctrine. It's always, hey, come over here where nobody's at and let us come into, well, at least invite you into our secret world. Or you've got to pay more money, then we'll give you the real stuff. It's always smoke and mirrors. Even those people who, who claim to be Bible teachers, but you hear them say, I know that's what it says, but that's not really what it says. God wasn't playing smoke and mirrors with us. God has spoken clearly to us. God hasn't said, come find me, good luck. No, he sent his one and only son to seek and save the lost. To seek you and I out. He's come for us. He's been out in the open. He's declared that the gospel go to the ends of the earth and that we proclaim it. And make it known so that all may hear. Our God isn't mincing words. He has clearly spoken to us and his promises are true. He's not leading us on some wild goose chase. And that when we stand before his throne in heaven, he says, Oh, you must have missed the fine print. It was right behind those Bible maps you never read. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't do that. That's good news for us. And if you're here today and you, you don't know Christ, 
Maybe you live in this world and you trust no one. Maybe for good reason. Maybe for good reason. And I can't promise you that everyone here will always be as truthful with you as we should. Or, but I want you to know that we're all broken people who realize that Christ has been truthful with us. And there's some security here. We're, we're truthfully telling you we're not always truthful. <laughs> but not intentionally. Not intentionally. We're not trying to deceive you. And if we do, we want to be quick to repent, quick to ask forgiveness, quick to make that right. Jesus is the light of the world. He's not the darkness of the world. And through Jesus, God has clearly showed us the way, the path to eternal life. He's the great deal and doesn't have fine print. Our God is true and and he promises that all who come to him through Christ, his son, will never perish. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, he's your king, he's your savior, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he says, you will be saved. I'll forgive you of all your sins. I'll forgive you. Do you trust him? He says, come follow me. My word's good, and I will never lie to you. That's what Jesus offers. And so God's promises are clear, and he does not deceive us. And and this is why we can trust his word and find security in it. And this kind of integrity is pure. I put up here clean because I needed three C's. I'm just being transparent, being honest with you. It's how it rolls, right, Shane? Sometimes preachers, we just we need three C's. So you look in Word, you click synonyms, and oh, pure, clean, that'll work. We'll do it. But think, pure. We want pure water, right? I have water filters. I got them on Amazon subscription every 90 days so that my water's always pure in my refrigerator. Why? Because I don't want harmful things. I think we've gotten a little sissy about those type of things, to be honest. I was drinking out of the hose in my backyard for years. You're like, well, that's what, that explains it all. No. <laughs> but now we got to have pure water. We've got, previous generations didn't need it, but we do. But we think of water. I want to make sure it's pure. I want to make sure it's clean, that it's good for me. It's not going to do harm to my body. That's another element of integrity. Integrity, the integrity that Jesus calls us to, is pure. You, you, can, you, you look at it like water and you can see right through it. There's nothing, you're seeing everything, if you will. And to know that Jesus is trustworthy and his promises are sure is to know that he will not cause us harm. That's what he's saying. Jesus says, nothing will separate you from the love of God in me. Nothing. Do you believe that? That no one will snatch you out of my hand. The Father has given you to me, and and I will lose none of them. And he was transparent. He said, except the son of perdition. That was already determined. John 10, if you want to know. Jesus... 
Jesus' promises are life-giving. Notice in, in verse 27, if you go back to Matthew 5. Let what you say be simply yes or no. And look at the other half of that verse. Anything more than this comes from where? Comes from where? Some of you are like, I'm trying to get to the passage, Chase. Chill. From evil. So things that are true come from God. Did you know that? Every good gift comes from our Heavenly Father above. And everything that is not comes from evil. Do you give joy for every good gift that has been given to you? They're just tastes. They're just signposts to tell you of the goodness of your Heavenly Father. So the joy that you share in a great meal, pure water, air conditioning, the beautiful day, your wonderful friends, your family, those things are just tastes of the goodness of God. Just tastes. And he's kind of given us, he says, you, you enjoy these things? There's much more to be enjoyed in my kingdom. There's much more than what meets the eye here. And so his words are life-giving. They aren't evil. Jesus describes the work of the evil one and his workers as those who kill, steal, and destroy. Do you look at the things of what the world offers and how their promises are empty and what the world produces? Oh, it looks good at the beginning and there are sins are pleasurable for a season. But if you just watch long enough, you will see destruction. But you watch the one who follows Christ and has walked with him and trusted their promises. That doesn't mean their whole life was roses. But you will see a love and a commitment and a joy that trusts in the promises of Christ. In other words, by the truth of God's word, Jesus promises to purify us. Did you know that? John 17, 17. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. God's all about the truth that purifies, that makes whole, that gives life, that breathes joy into you. He not only promises to purify us, he promises to preserve us and keep us to the end. He promises to do us good and that by following him we may experience true blessedness, not only in this life but the age to come. Therefore, this is how we've come to know Christ, through his word. So the virtue of integrity should characterize us. This is how Christ has dealt bountifully with me. And as I have experienced that, my heart's been full of the love of Christ that overflows in me wanting to share the truth of Christ with you. And to be truthful with you and vulnerable with you. So we want to extend that same consistency of life that Christ has extended to us. We want to extend the same clarity of speech and the same cleanliness of motive so that others may experience the love of God in Christ through you and me. See, we're always bearing the name of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Not just when you're here on Sunday morning. Not just if you wear, have one of those fish things on the back of your car 
You know, that's not the only times you're bearing the name of the Lord. You're always Oh, Lord, he, he bought you with a price. He's given you a new name. He's ransomed you. You've been adopted into a new family. And so as members of the household of God, everything we say and do reflects upon our Heavenly Father. And like a child who genuinely loves their daddy, who loves their mommy, so out of love for our Heavenly Father, we want to uphold his name. We never want to shame him. It all comes out of love. It's not a guilt. Speak the truth or else. No, it's I've dealt truthfully with you. And you've experienced that. And that love draws me. I want to sing your praises. I want people to know you as you truly are. I want zeal for my Father's house to consume me because I'm, I'm burdened when people don't know you truly. Because I've experienced that knowledge. And so this way of holding the truth, actually, brothers and sisters, is attractive. And this day and age, that will be one of the most effective means by which we reach the world. Is if we're truthful. And that's not just, hey, let me open up the truth for you. No, let me love you truly. And yes, let me show you truly the Jesus who loved me. And let me show you that the one who made you has promised to do you good and not harm. And as we cultivate this virtue of integrity as the people of God, we will shine bright in a world of darkness, brothers and sisters. We will truly be salt and light in this world. And our words will carry weight when we tell them that God loves them and is calling them into relationship with him. They'll say, and I've never experienced a genuineness like I have from you. And you say, well, and I got nothing on my daddy. I got nothing on Jesus. Let me introduce you to him. And it becomes all the more satisfying to their soul. Amen, brothers and sisters. All right, let's pray and then we'll sing.